You are listening to the Derek Asante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Asante, and uh, we got a special episode. Um, Now, I saw an interesting article that was published recently, and uh, it was talking about abortion. And so I figured, let's take this conversation to the show. Because I thought it was very important. It's a historic moment. Uh, When I saw the article, a good friend of mine sent it over to me. And um, it was by the BBC that we got the information from. And the, the U.S. Supreme Court ends the constitutional right to abortion. This is monumental. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have some of my guests chime in. I want to get people's opinion. Uh, If you are uh, pro-abortion or not, what does this ruling mean to you and how you interpret it? What do you think is going to happen with the rest of society in the Western and is it going to impact us in Canada? So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy it. And I hope this sparks a conversation about things that's happening around our, our societies. So I got two panelists with me today. And um, the topic that we wanted to discuss was what was in the news two days ago. The Supreme Court in the U.S. pretty much ends constitutional rights to abortion. So the conversation was, how do people feel about abortion, first of all? And then um, what does this news mean to you and how you interpret it? I also want to get your opinion on the overall, how we got to this point. So I want to go back a bit and see if we can talk a little bit about how we got to uh, abortion being you know, considered a constitutional right. And then what changed? What do we think changed and why they revoked it uh, in 2022? And it's a bit disturbing that it happens now, especially after COVID is just winding down and things like that. And from my understanding, what I heard from all the news clippings and everything else before COVID actually put us all indoors, you know, the conversation and the conspiracy theories were, it's about population control. So does the conversation change or is just another play this is my conspiracy theory brain kind of functioning here, but I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks. Uh, this evening, I have Earl Dean with me, and I welcome her and I appreciate her for sharing her views with us on this episode, as well as my good friend, Shelly. So, ladies, welcome. Oh, hi, thank you. Thank you for being here, for making this happen. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> a conversation to have. It, it is. It is. And for me, it's it's very interesting because I'm curious to hear what you have to say as far as women, right? Because yeah. this is directly impacting you in every yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, um, and we get impacted slightly differently. So I'll get into that portion when we get there. But first of all, how has your week been? And when you got wind of this news, what came through your mind? Um, 
so I'll, I'll, I'll go. Um, I felt scared. I'm going to be honest with you, not mm-hmm. from the perspective of how women, liberal women would, cause I'm a conservative woman. That's how I classify myself. I am a Christian, um, mm-hmm. by choice, not just because I was born in a family of Christians, but that's a choice I've made. Um, but I was scared and I was scared for a lot of reasons. One, we are already in a climate where everybody is on edge. And I was really concerned of after what we've seen in the United States, the, I would say the United States and Europe, especially mm-hmm. with the racial tensions, with the ethnic tensions, with governments taking these draconian laws and going crazy with them and then people's response on the streets and it's sometimes going as far as violence that's when i got nervous because mm. i was thinking we, ju- we are going through the black lives matter phase still we have the immigration issues still going and then now here comes this mm. and people are in the streets and people are in the streets in the capital and i don't know if you've ever been to washington dc it's not a very big place. <laughs> so when you see crowds of more than 200 people right. for and against, and these people, when I say they look fierce, mm. I'm going to be honest with you. I could not watch the news. I heard what was happening. Right. I saw the Twitter feed, but my spirit would not allow me to go there. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't watch because wow. I was afraid that what happened January 6th last year, we were going to see something else close to that popping off. Mm-hmm. And in this time coming out of the pandemic, being a person who has lost so many people to this disease, um, I just want to see us get to a place where we can have a conversation. We can disagree right. and not take it to the point of violence. I think people right now feel like their life is being held under a gun. That's what it feels like. Women feel that way. Minorities feel that way. Conspiracy theorists feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything is feeding into something else. Yeah. And that's where I'm nervous. And I I don't know if you listened to the news last night, but the concerns we have now with, I think it's like 13 or 14 states through the Midwest. Florida is kind of like the unicorn in the midst of it. Yeah. Because... Florida is a very strange place. I had to actually speak to relatives who are living in Florida last night to ask them, really, how does Florida make up? Because I thought Florida was more of like a liberal state. Right. But apparently you have the cities that have more liberal views. And then in between that, the conservatives are kind of like in the rural areas where there are more conservative views. So Florida is kind of the unicorn. But what these states have tried to do and, and it, it's already starting, just to let you know. And this is where voting is the big thing now. I've heard a lot of people in the last 24 hours saying, guys, you got to get to the voting pool. You got to get your stuff up to date because we have to vote these people out. Because what's happening now, it's not just abortion that's going to get overturned. Right. That's just the beginning. The other things I heard them talking about overturning, um, biracial marriage. So black person marrying a white person or Latina really? marrying somebody who's white, that's also on the docket. Because apparently there are some of those mid-states like Utah, um, 
some of the Carolinas, they have right. these laws that are dormant laws. They haven't taken them off the books. Right. Just they're there. Them again. And so they're dormant. And if an abortion was one of them. So if you now are overturning one and attaching actual criminal charges that can that have ranged anywhere from 15 years to 35 years in prison around wow. this topic. Now they're even going as far as touching things on gay marriage, which was one of them um, that they talked about. They talked about uh, interracial marriage. They talked about segregation in schools. These wow. are all things they want to overturn. It just started with abortion. So they're just trying to go back in time. So they're trying to go back in time. And so when that was put, that perspective was put on the news last night. I think I was watching CNBC and I ended up watching CNN and I watched Fox News. And some of them were telling on themselves, like on Fox News, they were talking about these things like they're proud of it. And I'm like, wait a second. So the abortion thing was just one avenue to get everything going back to before 1950. That's what they're trying to go back to. And I don't think that's the place where we should be. Because well, then you buy into the conspiracy, are we trying to set up a race war here? Which is what everybody has been touting. Right. The, all these things are adding up to division where Americans are going to be fighting against Americans and then internationally you'll see it popping off. England is having that problem right now. Um, France has had that problem as well. Um, I know in Italy, it's it's popping up. Greece, it's popping up. So these the same things that are happening in America is just being magnified everywhere else. Wow. So it, it's funny, as you say that, it brought me back to thinking what the uh, the prior president said, which was make America great again. <laughs> I hate that statement. Right. And when was America ever great? What what era? Well, this For is who? it. For who? those reversing these laws exactly is what they're chasing so now, when you when they do this in the legal system i don't mean to cut you off what people need to understand to say it on tv is one thing but when you're now going into the legal system to change these things the impact on the other end can be so devastating oh yeah oh, and yeah. even joe biden talked about that yesterday he was like look what's happening it's it's not simple it has to, it cannot happen. We have to figure out a way to stop it or overturn it. And so, what is he doing about it though? Well, the, the two, there's two parts of the, the, the discussion in the States. One, him as a president, um, he has to speak to the senators and get them to understand why certain laws cannot be in the hands of states. If the states are going to decide what happens to women, if the state is going to decide what happens in your house, then the federal government can't protect people because that's why they have the, the, the kind of parliament, I should say parliament, their political structure that they have, their checks and balances. And so if you take certain things, certain things that are considered human rights, and you're taking them now out of the hands of the feds and putting it back into certain states, then these are the states where, you know, the good old boys, they've been doing these things for centuries. It's going to go back to that. And that's what he's trying to figure out how, how to do it. One way they're talking about it is 
You got to vote. You got to vote those that are there now, vote them out. And I can see what he's saying, but let's look at it. This law was made, this decision was made in the Supreme Court, which is the highest court. So I understand what he's saying, but I still don't see where the solution is going to come in. But what, what, what can he do? What can he do That's as a president? It. That's right? what people understand. I, Presidents don't have a lot of power that you think they have. No, they I feel don't. Like got a lot done, <laughs> you know, considering that it wasn't things that we wanted done, but he did in a sense. But he had to come in with the, he has to, he had to be a bully to get that done. Yeah. What he had to do, what he had to do. I, I, let me say this. A lot of the things he had to do to, to wield power is he preyed on the secret study of these people. Right. That's what he did to hold them hostage. You don't want me to tell on you? Well, guess what? You got to come my way. House of cards. Yeah. Easy. That's what it is. So he did the mafia move, whereas Biden is not that type. So how does he now come into office and wield power? And I, let me say this. I, I know in, in the U.S. for sure, one of the things they have as a big problem. Um, some of the politicians who are Republican who want to vote the right way or, right, or even vote alongside the Democrats, they're afraid of losing their seat because the population that would vote for them they become Trumpsters. They're taking on to the Trump's conspiracies. They're buying into the lies. They're buying into those conversations. How do you change the people's minds when they've been so, like, I mean, Trump has done a good job of really having a whole section of the country converted to a different way of thinking, a backward way of thinking. How do you now then come in as a politician and change those people's minds? You know, one thing I'd, I'd like to interject, and it's Ray jumping in a little bit late, but I just want to piggyback off what you were saying in regards to politicians uh, caring about, let's say, voters and uh, their seat in power. I think it goes for both sides, where when you look at a politician, you can't really trust their morals or their talking points for their platform because it really is to just cater to a base, they're a base, you're a base or whatnot. So none of them are like 100% morally sound. Nope. So we can't trust anything they say, whether they be Republicans mm -hmm. and most importantly, if they're Democrats. Yes, and you're perfectly right with that. I mean, everybody thought that with Obama coming into office, black people would have gotten a break, correct? <laughs> people need to, what people, what I would love people to do, and I'm a political scientist, that's my background, okay? Um, in terms of education-wise. What I always tell people to do, first of all, is educate yourself on the political system that you're under. You know, the challenge with that is, right, is that when it's not entertaining... Yeah, the way, it's the not way, Netflix, it's not YouTube, exactly, it's not BET, exactly. it's not house music, it's, it's not MTV Cribs. That's right? the problem. And so and it only becomes real for a lot of people when, mm -hmm. when it's at their doorstep and there's yeah, nothing they like can do at that point. Like this now. Right. It's too late. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah. Right? If, if you've been paying attention before it got to this point, then you might have been able to do something. Exactly. But now it's too late. They've already made the plays in the back behind the scenes. And now it's at your doorstep. Right. Hey, it's Derek. Yeah. I, I remember us having a conversation about um, the COVID mandates in regards to the uh, vaccinations. And a lot of people were up in arms when that visited our doorstep at work where it became mandatory for us to get the vaccines. 
and people are ready to like boycott Trudeau and <laughs> you're just like it's 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 already too late right. <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> yeah your protest should have happened like a year year and a half ago at the outset you know what I mean it's it's so I just I just find that very interesting when you're you're saying that like when it's at your doorstep it, it's too late way too late now you're trying to fight it and they already prepared mm-hmm. for you and you just have to take what they they're presenting and that's the problem right so, but um, you're, I mean, Earl, I sorry, Shelly, I'll, I'll, I'll let you jump in in a second, Shell. I'll let you jump in. I just wanted to say, Earl Dean, I think what you mentioned was critical that we do need to educate ourselves. And it's unfortunate that we don't because history has told us to do this over and over, over again, and we yeah. refuse to do it. So ignorance does have a price. It's not blissful, right? It's, it's, it does have a price and we're going to pay for it every time we refuse to listen. Um, Shelly, go ahead. Uh, just to, to kind of like tie into what Earl Dean and Ray said, and you just now, um, I think all of it does go back to us, like you said, being educated and us actually voting for people who represent us, people who we feel represent our morals, people who look like us, people who can understand it from a woman's point of view or from a black male's point of view or whatever the case is, right? We need to be more active. And I'll just kind of plug this little cliche here. Education is not meant to be fun. Nope. It's hard work. <laughs> right? It's supposed to be informative. It's and It's supposed work. to allow yeah. you to make the right decisions at make any point life. in your life. But we think it's supposed to be fun or cool, and it's no TikTok. So, you know, anybody listening, just keep that in mind. Um, now, I want to bring us back to this article that came around that I sent out to everybody. Thanks to Shelly for sharing it. And so what does this mean? I want to start with the women first and I'll get your opinion on this, Ray. What does this mean that they're, they're setting us back, right? We've already kind of established that this is a setback with this overruling of the abortion being a constitutional right. What does that mean now for women? How, do, how does that make you feel? Um, why I can say it's a setback as I said, I, I had to listen to the wording of the different states that want to reverse this decision. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. There are a lot of states in the United States, California, New York. Um, I, I can mention those to Maryland. They are not pushing for it to be reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually, they're in the majority. They actually did most of the country. Most of the other states are okay. It's just the mid-states. And as I said, Florida is a unicorn. The wording that they were using, which makes me uncomfortable, is that we don't agree with abortions and there are no exceptions. And so what that means is, if I brought my life back to 2013 and 2010, when my children were born, I had terrible pregnancies that could have cost me my life. And some of the paperwork that I had to fill out, I was explaining this to Shelly yesterday, in the middle of, with my first son almost miscarrying at 22 weeks in front of 200 people, I was actually singing at a church. Wow. And I thought something was going wrong and I had to throw the microphone and the big, a whole bunch of stuff happened with that. So when I got to Etobicoke General, 
and they told me all the procedures that they would have to do and it's a 50-50 chance for this and a 50-50 chance for that. And here I'm a, I am a mother in distress, medically, right. in pain, losing blood. And it's a life and death thing for both me and my kid. And then you're right, you're getting me to sign forms in a situation like that where I'm not even thinking clearly. And right. this is my first child at 28. And you're telling me I'm supposed to decide who lives and who dies. Right. <laughs> and right. then I can't put it in your hands because it's not your choice because you'll get sued legally if you right. choose for me. Right. That's tough. And so when you're saying there are no exceptions, um, 2013, when I had my youngest and I had to have a C-section and I, I mean, I remember the doctor came in and said, look, you've been in labor for three days. This kid's not going anywhere. And we're going to have to make a decision. C-section it is. Fill this paper out. Fill this paper out. Fill that out. And this is what it means. It means you're giving us permission to do X, Y, and Z. And I went ahead and said to them, well, I want you to just go in and tie my tools because I don't want to go through pregnancy anymore like this. And right. a doctor in Toronto looked at me at 5.30 in the morning, a.m., and said to me, do you realize that if this was in the 80s, you couldn't make this choice. Your husband would have to give us permission for what you're asking for. This is to tie your tubes. Yes. Wow. And even to give permission to have the C-section. Really? Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm already in contractions. I'm already going to. So you have to understand, I'm giving you a picture. Mothers are being given these papers when we're laying there and we're in pain. We're confused. We're doped up. We're in different, I mean, the fear, the anxiety, all the stress. And that's when they come with these conversations. So I find I that hmm? I find that I find that very interesting. Yeah. The moment that you're in, that they're giving you a piece of paper. Yeah, to sign that has the weight of that decision. Didn't and give I'm it curious. to me, didn't give me two days when I went there. I got there on the 21st. This was my second child. I got there October 21st, 2013. You didn't give me the papers then. You waited two days. And on the third day, that's when you're coming to me with the decision, we have to do an emergency CSC section and here's all the papers you have to fill out. And oh, by the way, thank God it's 2013 because had it been in the 80s, your husband would have to give permission for this stuff. And I went, okay, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Right. I, I wonder why they would, why they would think back in the 80s it okay for the husband to give that decision while the woman is in excruciating. And this was a man saying this to me, not a woman. Or, don't know. Or, you know, the woman is in emotional trauma, emotional stress, and whatever is going on with her, why would they then want a man to exactly. meet that, I think that I, medical? I think, I think that's tied to civil rights movements. Because uh, the women's rights movements and all that stuff. Because remember, they didn't have m much rights. They didn't have any. Up until we didn't a have rights to life, property, nothing. We, right. we, we were so just there. I as, think that was one of those things here. that they didn't look at. Um, and so it was probably still in effect. And I think there had to be several cases for them to now look at it and say, well, no, we can't do that. And yeah. I think I think and that's, they're, on, they're on the books. If you want to research it from the, I don't know in Canada, but yeah. I know in the United States and Britain, there were a lot of laws that were put down in the, in the 1600s and the 1800s yeah. going forward where 
yeah. white women took it to court and said, yeah. no, we should have a voice in this, this, and this. And let me be clear, when they made the laws okay for white women, black women or women of minority were not a part of that conversation. No, of course not. The law didn't extend to us, no. even in the 80s. Because you, you so, still weren't a person. We weren't a person. <laughs> so it took until the 90s for other women who got educated, got empowered, to really come in and say, look, this is not just for white women. This is for all women. We have to have that conversation about women's health. Because women's health wasn't an issue. The issue. Back in the day, it was, okay, you have a girl, you either married her, dated her, or you just had a one-night thing. And if she dies in the process of whatever, she dies. I go pick up another one. That was the, the thought. Yeah, the culture. The culture. On all fronts, that was the culture. Yeah. So now that you get into the modern times of the late 80s and the 90s, women, the biggest changes, women got into those power-broking areas in politics, in the medical field. You know, that's what made the difference. Now, Shelly, I want to get your thoughts, and then I'll, I'll pass it over to Ray and see if he can share his experience with that. Just what this uh, whole thing means to you. What comes to Mine's, my thought was more like, uh, are you going to make me property next? <laughs> Again? Yeah. Um, it just, I think it's a step backwards. I think when you take away the right for me to take care of my body in the way that I choose, um, we're stepping backwards. Or Okay. Sh- um, Ray, give me your thoughts on what came to mind when you saw that article. Well, a lot of things. I don't want to say I'm on the fence, pro-choice, pro-life. But I think the conversation should not start at pregnancy. It should start before pregnancy. I think that we're living in an age where accountability is missing. And I think that it is no secret as to what can happen when two adults, consenting adults, engage in sexual activities. Now, our preface to this conversation should be understanding the difference between the rule and the exception. Yes. And this is why I said I'm kind of on the fence. When it comes to the exception, 100%, the woman should have the right or access to that procedure because things like an ectopic pregnancy can mm-hmm. be deadly. Yes. And the one that everyone goes to is in the event of grape, then, you know, do I want to keep the baby? Grape minus the G. Uh, do we want to keep the baby? Right. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the ex- exceptions to the rule. Yes. I'm just curious now, because the conversation should start before pregnancy. Yes. Out of all the pregnancies that happen, what percentage of them fall into the category of an exception? Exactly. Yep. Because if, if a few of them are the exception, then that means there needs to be a mass education on accountability mm-hmm. for consenting 
adults engaging in such activities. Because if it's only 10%, that's the exception. Then the rule is like 90% of people are getting pregnant and it's not being planned. I was watching a, a talk by this, I forgot her name. It's a great talk. And she's like an expert in parenting. And she said the prerequisite in today's age for being a parent is simply being horny. Yep. That is it. Yep. And I find that if there's a lack of accountability for our actions in society, you end up potentially with situations like this where we have to then have conversations about topics that put us in a, a moral pickle where it's just like, am I ending life because I have to get this abortion because I'm not ready for the baby? And again, I'm talking about the rule, not mm-hmm. the exceptions. Yeah. I'm 100% on board for the exceptions where it's just like, yo, yeah. I personally know. And in a situation where a pregnancy can be fatal to somebody. Right. So if they have a pregnancy, they could die. So a procedure has to be done. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's just my take on it, where I'm just like, if it's if it if it's the rule, I say pro-life. Mm-hmm. If it's the exception, I say pro-choice. I like Ray. I like how you mentioned you're focused in on the exception and why I'm gonna go right back to the books again with these states. What people need to understand clearly is those states are saying, regardless of the exceptions, and some of the exceptions are rape, incest, um, uh, child brides getting married at the ages of under 16, which still happens in the United States and is illegal in, it's legal in about three states where it's, you're allowed as a girl from the age of about eight to, to get married. Okay? Oh. So, and obviously, you know, no eight-year-old is going to get married by choice. Right. Right? So my concern, and this is where I hate how media is um, portraying this whole thing, what's getting lost is on the books of the states that want this, they are blatantly saying, there are no exceptions and i have a problem with that yeah yeah because you're going to cost people their lives i don't know if people actually have ever researched in the 20s and the 30s and years gone by when there wasn't legalized abortions the kinds of abortions that were happening in those days the concoctions that they were mixing in back rooms that weren't sanitized that weren't clean and women chose to go to those places because they, they felt they had no other choice. People need to sit with that for a minute. What would cause a human being to get themselves into a back room? Most times it's not well sanitized. It's not like a big operating theater. And some woman is some, or some other man is mixing something either for them to ingest orally or to stick inside of them through through the vaginal canal, canal, or use the knife and cut them in some way. Who would actually put themselves through that? That's not normal. So what would cause someone to go that far? There has to be a reason. And to be honest with you, the data that they have back in those days were of white women. We didn't know what was happening in the black communities and the Latin American communities in the United States and, and Europe. 
The data that they have is of white women. And a lot of them were married women who didn't want those pregnancies. So think of the process and what this woman in fear would choose to do that rather than to bring the child into this world. So question, since, since Earlene, you brought that up, question for the, the group, what, what does that mean now for Black women and Black families? And I'm bringing that up because if history is saying that they didn't document us back then and we were experiencing the same and worse conditions. And I know pre-pandemic, the whole narrative was, you know, population control. And that's why they started with the continent of Africa with the vaccines and so forth. So that made everybody paranoid and, and all that stuff. So if I'm looking at both historic events and I'm looking at what just happened and now we're talking about what is happening, how does that impact us as a black community? A lot of people are going to prison. A lot of people are going to prison. All the books that I looked at last night and I stayed up the whole night, not even remembering that we had the podcast. I was just interested. Mm -hmm. Apparently all those states that I'm talking about, um, what they're doing right now is actually putting jail time onto practitioners who are performing abortions, as well as man or woman who goes into these offices. Now, let me give you a difference. If you're a rich person, I'm going to give you two black people that are rich. So let's say LeBron James's wife, mm-hmm. who has wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. The kind of resources that she has access to to get a private abortion without anybody knowing is different from somebody like me. Right. If you think about it. So you look at it from, and these are two black people. We're two black women. But what she has available to her because of money, I don't. So if a doctor performs an abortion on me, not only is the doctor going to jail, but the nurse is going to jail. The receptionist who, who, who took the appointment is going to jail. The anesthesiologist who was in the room is going to jail. And the mother and the father, if the father is around, is going to jail. Everybody that knew about this abortion and didn't report it is going to jail. And when I'm talking about jail time, it's 15 years to 35 years. That's what I'm hearing. That's what's on their books. And that's what they want to go back to. Is that what we want? So if you see the, the rise in penitentiaries being built, and there's a big business behind penitentiaries, that's another topic for another day. Yeah. But this would feed into it. Right. This would feed into it. So Latin American people, People of color, brown people, we better sit on the edge of our seats and get involved because this is crazy. Because these people are not talking about just, oh, a slap on the wrist. You're talking about 15 years. That's a lifetime. 15 years. Some people commit murder and only get five years. Yep. And that is regardless of what criminal record you have. I mean, yes, it is in the hands of a judge to determine if you're of a risk or however they interpret the law. That's what judges do. But that's what scares me. That's what scares me. What do you think, Shelley? Um, Along the same theme as Earl Dean. uh, So the rate for Black women incarceration has gone up. um, I think it's like 1.7, like it's 1.7 times um, over the last couple of years. 
And I feel like this just finishes it off. <laughs> yeah. We can just continue to imprison us. And, and now we just gave them a reason, right? See, because, okay, Ray, I'm going to get your thoughts on that too in a second. I'm, I'm just thinking about it as we're talking here. I'm thinking about teen pregnancies. I remember in the 90s, 96, 94, a lot of, you know, girls my age were getting pregnant early. A lot mm -hmm. of teen moms. And so, but that hasn't stopped. Now, mm -hmm. what I'm noticing is a lot of different cultures are going through that now. It's not just the mm -hmm. Black community. It's happening in the South Asian, the Asian, mm -hmm. like it's it's everywhere. Everybody's getting pregnant earlier and not necessarily because they want to. And I think it's primarily because they've been um, introduced to different cultures and different people that they're now dating. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's almost like there's less restriction within cultures um, because the kids are just rebellious like that, which is natural. But now, how is that going to impact them? Because you can't just say, oh, we're going to target just the black community because if a black boy impregnates uh, an Asian girl or a South Asian girl, she has to succumb to the same policies. Yep. Yep. And so I just, I want to put that out there because I don't want people to think it's a black thing just because that's, I mentioned the word black. That's why I said brown people. That's why I <laughs> right. said black and brown. Right. Because <laughs> that interracial thing. <laughs> right. It's across all boards. You know, and then you, you, you mentioned the interracial um things that's also on the books that they're going to mm -hmm. be looking at. So people need to pay closer attention that this is happening to us as a people, not as races, because, no, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's groups of people that right. are going to get affected. And as I said, there's also a socioeconomical part of the conversation, yes. rich yes. versus poor. What yes. a Kardashian can do, you know, Gabriel Union maybe can't do it. Right. Daddy, that you know, we right. have the same money, but we look different. So right. there's a there's a whole big spectrum to it, and as, and people need to understand these are laws that are already pre-existing on the books. They were never removed. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to re reactivate them now. Yeah, yeah. So right? Ray, <clears throat> share with me your thoughts on what you think the impact is going to be for our community. Um. I'll preface again by stating, or stating that we have to clarify if we're talking about the rule or the exception. Let's what I with, mean by this. Start sorry, with the rule. So if the rule is that, typically speaking, people engage in consensual activities and then pregnancy happens and then all of a sudden I want to cancel it. If that is the norm, then that's the majority, and we need to tackle that. If it's the exception, then obviously, personally, I believe the access or the right to the procedure should still be there. How will this impact our community? Well, if typically speaking, people engage in these activities, why is it a shock? the outcome of pregnancy is there. Mm -hmm. The conversation is focused too much on the pregnancy. The it should be focused on well before the pregnancy. You see, that has nothing to do with race. If we're talking about the norm, if everybody knows that if you engage in unprotected intercourse, a baby can result from that, 
why are we engaging in unprotected intercourse knowing that we're not ready for the baby? Mm -hmm. That's where the conversation needs to be. And that's where the accountability in the community is missing. Derek, you mentioned recently about the culture, different people cultures and people, black man impregnating Asian woman. The issue is that promiscuosity is running rampant in everybody's culture, in everybody's community. But the education of the effects and impacts of that decision is not being championed. People are not hearing it loud enough. You see, when you want to incentivize a positive behavior, you put rewards out there. Mm-hmm. When you want to punish bad behaviors, you put rules out there. There's a reason why there's a speed limit on the highway. Because if there isn't, there's a very good chance people will be driving at insane speeds. If there's no laws in place like this to add repercussions to frivolous, unthinking actions, then what is my fear is issues are being conflated where it's just like, and I could be wrong, but this is just my initial opinion. A woman woman might think it's my right to end life when I want. And we're not talking about the exception. We're talking about the norm. Mm -hmm. Because women use pregnancies to trap men. Men do the same thing too. But when it comes to access to sex, a woman controls that. A woman controls which man sleeps with her or which man she allows to sleep with her. Tread lightly when you say that, though. Tread lightly. Well, then, <laughs> and I'll give you an example why I say that. And, and, and remember, Early, I'll give you the about, shot after he's finished. Let him finish his time. I remember I'm, I'm talking about the norm. Yeah, I get Not you, the yeah. exception. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we all know that men control access to relationship and women control access to sex. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So if the woman knows that, hey, we're going to have unprotected sex and chooses not to be on the pill, chooses not to ensure the man has a condom, chooses not to make sure that her birth control is up to date. And this law passes and you can't have an abortion when you know that you guys both are not ready to start a family, chooses to potentially lay down with a man who's not willing to propose or in a committed relationship with her or they're not even married, and has a baby out of wedlock, all these things are stopgaps for having an abortion. So if all these things are not being, these checks and balances are not in being in place, then the accountability in our culture is lacking because mm-hmm. people are having a conversation about, oh, I'm pregnant. Now I'll put my hands up in the air. No, it should be way before that. How are we conducting ourselves in our culture, our society, that we're allowing people to have unprotected sex? People are not married or in committed relationships. People are not privy to the the, the outcomes of unprotected sex. And when the outcome presents itself, we're not up in arms. Like I said earlier, and I'll end with this, like I said earlier, it's almost like the prerequisite for having a baby is just horniness. Where's the... the (laughs) Kevin Samuel said it funny, like, how are you a man trying to sleep with a girl and you don't have $25,000 in your bank account? Yeah. How do you? Thank you. 
Thank you. Not, I, I don't like it. Thank you. You know, you're not you're not ready for the outcomes. Yeah. But you want to go have sex willy-nilly. No. So my my whole thing is like, listen, there's so many stop gaps mm-hmm. before pregnancy. Let's entertain and enforce those. That's the reason I kind of understand why the law is there. Yeah. Because we then have to have a conversation about what is life. When does life begin? So it's, 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 it's not about when the pregnancy is here. No, up in arms. It's way before that. On, on the trend of thought where you say it's the exception or, or the rule, um, I'm going to be on the side of the rule when I say this, okay? Mm-hmm. There are married women who are being forced in marriage to have children. Um, and there are actual court cases in the United States that I've looked at myself when I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I, I have looked at stories in that have been in the media as well where there was one particular woman, every time she went to bed, nine months later, she, she's pregnant. She has a kid and she's not sure what's going on. What this woman had to do to figure out how this was happening, she had to install a camera in her bedroom. And she's a person who suffers with pain like myself and takes a particular drug that actually makes you sleep. I take it myself. When I sleep, I'm telling you, if the sun, if there's a bomb, I won't hear it until 14 hours later. Okay, because oh, wow. I take it for nerve pain. She was taking a similar drug for that for particular reason. And her husband used that moment to get her pregnant. And wow. so in installing a camera, that's how she found out what he was doing. Isn't that right, I, though? That's, that's a good question. A lot of people seem to feel in the legal system, their husband and wife. Why is that right? Yeah, so right, would that no be consent. the exception of the rule? But the thing is, I thought it was the exception. Then I started reading more cases like this of women who are married to people and they did not tie their tubes and they and they're forced into having these unwanted children. So and that's a norm. That's not the exception. A lot, you see, let me say this. This conversation has to be taken out of this is a single person living frivolously, and then there's a baby. That's not the discussion in terms of what's the norm. The rule, from what I'm seeing in society, there are two sides to the norm. Yes, you do have the young people who are wiling out, but you are also having married people who have not had either the opportunity to have that discussion as to what we want for our family in terms of size, or the woman has no voice. She has no choice. You're my wife. It's your body, whatever comes out of it. Whether he wants to take care of the child or not, that's a whole different conversation. But the right as husband to sleep with your wife without condoms, without contraceptives, that's also part of it. And then you have the, and there are, and a lot of that you find, unfortunately, in the religious sex. If you look in Christ, certain Christian faiths, in, in the Mormonism, it, um, there's a thing in Netflix right now called, um, what's that movie called? They just released it, where these white women were talking about being a part of the Mormon church and being married at young ages and forced to have 16 children. One of the things the women talked about is that these are women who are forced into marriage. 
But there are also women who choose to marry and they're in this kind of bondage as well. I'm one of the few who, I, I'm the exception. I actually had the conversation with my husband after I got pregnant with my first. And that was a, a terrible thing. Thank God he's alive and he's doing well, but that was, that was traumatic for me. By the time we got to the second one and I found out I was pregnant, I said to him, I cannot physically do this again. So I don't care what's going on. Once I get into that medical office, just know I'm telling them we're locking shop. I had to put my foot on. Not that I don't know if my husband wanted more kids. That wasn't even an issue for me. My issue was physically, I cannot do this anymore. I went to extended hospitalization and all this stuff. So I am the exception where I actually had that discussion with my husband, with my parents, with my other son that look, after this little guy, that's it for mommy. I can't go through this anymore. Question for you. Um, mm -hmm. Were you... Have you had a chance to ask your husband if he wanted more kids after that? Yeah, he. I'm pretty sure he would have wanted more kids, whether he could afford it or not. That would be right. a whole different thing. Right. But that should also be part of the conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you are in a, as he said, consensual couples, you're talking to each other. That should be a part of the conversation. Nine times out of 10, it's not. And it's usually because a woman is fearful or a man is fearful. Right? Yeah. What if a woman wants to keep having kids and then the husband's like, man, I won't go through this no more. Why are we not saying men can go get vasectomies? Why is that not on the books? That's on the books for me. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I said that to my husband. I said, boss, why? I'm, I'm locking shop. Why not get a vasectomy? What are you afraid of? I don't know. I, I find it's, it's, it's an idea. It's a cultural idea that um, I don't know if it's even real. It's something that we implanted in our minds as men to say okay well i'm not doing it because whatever reason is it also it also puts a stigma on you as a male when you when you have to entertain that because then it's it's a matter of wait you plan on having more kids without me or like what's the reason for you not doing it and that's again a different conversation i um, never pressured him i just kind of said look there is a procedure out there call a vasectomy yeah Anytime you're ready, you can go take it. But as for me and my body, she's tired. She can't go through six months of lying in a bed at nurses coming to her house, taking care of her. I can't, I couldn't do it anymore. So if I was with a man who really wanted other kids, I probably would have been divorced by now. Right. But I think because my husband saw the trauma that I went through, he's like, Dean, I get it. I get it. I agree. We're good. Yeah. We're good. You know? So, so I want to shift gears a bit into um, the parents. Because we, we Ray brought up a great point about uh, promiscuity. And I'm curious, how do we protect our kids from the media, the television shows, cartoons now are even promoting that? Um, you yeah. know, and so how do yeah. we how do we have that conversation? That's the first part of the question. And then the other part is, how do we start the conversation? So let's start from there. How do we start the conversation with our kids and how young can they be that we can have these conversations? I don't want the schools to be having the conversations. I'm talking about the parents having the conversations. And Auntie. Yeah, and Auntie Shelley, take over. I can answer that because we had to go through <laughs> that in our house. <laughs> we had to go through that in our house. But Auntie Shelley, you start. 
Um, I can just talk from my experience and it's just more so making sure that they know that there's a place where they can come and have that conversation, Mm -hmm. making sure that they know that, you know, this is a safe zone. You can ask anything. There's no judgment. Um, Even when they say, hey, you know, I have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or this, you're like, oh, okay, what's that about? And and having those embarrassing conversations saying, okay, you know what? you have to know when you're ready for that. You have to know how to protect yourself. You have to, like, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's just making sure that there's a safe space to start it. So how do we, sorry, somebody else can chime in before I ask this question. Okay. Um, okay. Ray, Ray, do you have kids? Yeah. I got both. My youngest uh, is a boy and my eldest is a girl. I, I think for me, um, for me, it's, a nice milestone would be once you hit puberty, the conversation is supposed to be had, but that in itself is too late because to be frank and honest, the conversations that kids have at age eight, nine, and 10 will put a lot of grown adults to shame. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about promiscuosity inside of our culture, you look at what people have access to in the media, the internet, social media, that it's, it's all sex is selling at a rampant pace and everybody's consuming it. So all that stuff that used to be behind closed doors for our generation is out and about in the public. Uh, <laughs> we have Carabana mm-hmm. with the frivolity. We have certain parades with the frivolity. So, um, Nothing is is behind closed doors anymore. It's out in the open. So the conversation definitely needs to be had. Uh, I say if it's at puberty and the conversation is not had, it, it's it's too late. So it should it should should be had had a little bit earlier. And like Shelly said, definitely let him know that listen, I'm not gonna blow a gasket because at the end of the day I have to arm you with all the tools you need to defend yourself because babies are the outcome and having an abortion in certain states can lead to prison and jail time. And a very interesting thing, I don't think we had a conversation about when does life begin, but a very interesting um, scenario is if a woman is on her way to a clinic to get an abortion and somebody comes and shoots her, will he be charged for a homicide or a double homicide? A double homicide. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Wow. That's a good one. And what does the law say, Ray? Double. What does he get charged at? Do you know in Canada? In Canada, no, not not, not too sure. But it's it's the states it, is, is they they say this about America when it comes to the financial markets where America catches uh, or has a cough, the world Canada has gets the, the cold. cold. Yeah. So um, we have to be very careful what goes on in the U.S. because it's a in, trickle in down. In Canada, for sure. in in both Canada and the United States, it's considered a double homicide. Uh, Look at that. It's considered a double homicide. Yeah. In know. most cases, it's something that defenders have to walk in and argue that you guys claim that life doesn't start until it goes to the birth canal. God help those who are, who are babies who are born from a C-section. I don't know what you're classified as, but right. the rules, the, the wording on the books is once somebody passes through the birth canal, that makes you a human being. And mm. so that's what defense lawyers, and that's only if you can pay for a defense lawyer who is willing to make that argument for you. If right. it's a public defender, they're just going to do the bare minimum because you're not getting paid for it. Right. Right. So 
But back to your, your statement, Ray, I have an eight-year-old, an 11-year-old. Um, Both my boys? Boys. Yeah. I ain't got no girls. <laughs> but let me mm. tell you something. My boys have been in sports since the age of two. So they were competitive soccer players. They got into rep soccer. Um, my youngest, my oldest son, he got into rep soccer at age eight, I want to say. The youngest one, he was good enough. They started him at six. Mm. What bothers me as a mom, and especially a mom of black boys, who are very good looking, I must tell you, um, the getting into sports, you have to have that conversation literally at age six and seven. Because apparently once you're a baller, and now that my oldest has transitioned into basketball, he has come home and said, mom, these girls at the park, they're like, they're telling me I'm cute and they want my number. And I went, huh? Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember one day I was at a soccer game with my youngest. He was five and a 40 year old woman looked at me and goes, if this child was only 20 years older, <laughs> Wow. I held his head and I pushed him to the other side of the field because I said, uh-uh, this is five. Mm -hmm. This is a five-year-old. So my, my issue was, and, and also I have a mother who is also in the education system at a high level in, in Toronto. And she's like, so she's hearing the, the conversations that are coming out of school children and what they're being exposed to. And what Ray is saying is downright the truth you gotta be careful of what they're exposed to the music so we have had to have like they've been listening to songs on the radio and, and let me say this i'm a christian i go to church they go to church okay so for christians who are hearing this you can have these conversations and i wish the, the church would do a lot better with these conversations yeah. um, and be on the right side of the conversation not from a judgmental side right um I'm, I'm a musician, so I, I, my perspective on music is, even if Jesus is not in the song, you can still listen to it, but you have to know what the person is saying. Lyrics matter. Yeah. And so that's what I teach my boys. When you're listening to certain songs, I remember there are a couple of songs that I know Little Nas X has a couple of songs that I, I question, and they would come on either 104.5 or 99.9, .9. so you know the radio stations I listen to in my car. When those songs come up, I don't just shut them off. I actually say to my boys, do you understand what he's saying here? Do you understand what he's saying about women here? Do you understand what the wording is? And I give them an opportunity to answer. And then I say to them, okay, well, let's go through the lyrics yeah. line by line. Yeah. Parenting sucks. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But parents have to do that work because... I'm not with my kids 24-7. I don't know when they go to a birthday party. I don't bring my kids to birthday parties and leave them. I, my parents didn't do that with me. I don't do that with them. Yeah. But there are some parents who do this. Drop the kid off, and they don't even know the movie that's being the child is being exposed to. They don't know the music that's being played at the birthday party. And this is the, I'm talking about birthday parties for seven-year-olds and up. Yeah. What are the lyrics? What is it encouraging? What kind of life? Look at the basketball players and, and, and soccer players that are their heroes. What kind of life do they live, right? So I try to bring this conversation with my boys. Like, look, when you look at life, 
it's not just I'm a boy and I can do what I want. That's not how that works. There are responsibilities that you have to have. There are certain conversations I don't think are appropriate for your age. When this conversation comes to you, this is how you have to handle yourself. What, so, you know, go ahead. I have a question for you while you're you're you brought that up. I'm curious, how does your partner have conversations with the boys? He doesn't. Is it, is it the same as the way you he do doesn't. it? Or? He doesn't. Why do you think that is? How he was raised. Um, he, in his family, the girls were more, they're more like the typical Jamaican family where, not typical, say the, the old school Jamaican family, where mm. mom does everything, the girls do everything. Right. And the men kind of just work and come home and that's it. That's where mm. the job stops. He okay. has had to learn from like my father. The blessing about living in a household where you have double generations. Right. He has had to learn from guys like my dad and my older brothers of how to change his thinking of male and female relationships. So when he grew up in a rural community, it was the women doing the cooking, the women doing the educating, the women doing the discipline and all that stuff. Dad is just there as a provider and a protector. And so in this family, coming, marrying into my family, he's learning that my role does, just doesn't stop there as a man. I have to be more involved. So when we're having some of these conversations, how I include him in the conversation is we have it together. So before the boys go to bed, we do something what we call a, a powwow. We are on the bed and I ask them, so what's what's new? What happened in school today? Yeah. And they will give me a story. Um, a girl said I was cute and she tried to kiss me and I was uncomfortable. And so that's a segue for us to kind of talk to them about these issues. So we kind of let them bring it to us a bit, right. but we're also leaving it open for them to have that conversation. One of the things I've had to say to my boys time and time again, it's okay to come and talk to me. Girls will talk, girls will find somebody to talk to. I find boys, they need to be reassured that this is a safe space. You can tell mom or dad anything or grandma or grandpa or uncle, we are your safety zone. We just want the best for you. There's nothing you can tell us that will shock us. There's nothing that you can tell us that will make us hate you or judge you or you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This is our safe zone. And so how I've gotten my husband, although he was raised that way, by having those powwow sessions where sometimes even my mom is involved and we try to, cause we're new parents too. We're young. So we're learning. And one of the things I've learned, especially from my mother is to have safe space. So Ray, I'm going to throw this one at you because I want to get your perspective on it. Um, I agree with with everything you you, you said so far, um, Earldine, and you know the conversations get uncomfortable, um, and I think that's a part of the reason why most men, regardless of culture, don't want to dive into those conversations because most of them don't know how to navigate it. So there's a there's a, a large portion of it I think it's ignorance, and a large portion of it is is being uncomfortable, right? So. Ray, what are your thoughts on that? Like, as a as a father, how comfortable or uncomfortable are you having those conversations, both you know, with your with your eldest girl? Because most most of the time, it's probably the one that you're gonna have to speak to or have a conversation with, even the one after, right? So, what what where do you stand with that? Like, are you comfortable, or is it more of a fear of 
you know, maybe pushing them away because you brought it up or making them uncomfortable? I think it's very important for a father to not be uncomfortable having those conversations. So for me, I welcome them wholeheartedly. In my youth, I was a gallus. <laughs> you know this very well. So when it comes to manipulating women, um, it's, it's, it's not something that's foreign to me. And it's, it's all a game. It's, it's somewhat transactional. You want relationship, and I want to get access to the cookie jar. We'll see who gets what first. And there's ways to, to maneuver. It's a game of chess to maneuver your pieces to the end goal. So for me, I wouldn't dare want a young man to be able to easily deceive my daughter. Mm -hmm. So it's imperative for me to fulfill that protector role and extend it to my daughter to protect her heart from would-be suitors who are not sincere or genuine. I can almost guarantee, which is the norm, not the exception, that a lot of high school flames or middle school flames for that do not end up being married. Derek, don't say anything. You are the exception. High school yep. sweethearts. Okay, don't that say anything. That definitely is the exception. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yep. Yes, bro, so, that's the exception. We, we, we as fathers... Whoa, that's, that's we as, young. Yeah, we as fathers, we can't, we, we can't be uncomfortable with it because um, when you don't have any defenses in the world as a young woman or man, um, anybody can tell you anything, you'll take it at face value and you'll, you'll get used and abused. And for any parents that's listening, listen closely. Kids are having sex at very young ages. And, and sex is so accessible. It's, 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 like, it's like giving somebody debts. So if you're not having those conversations, a young man or a young woman will be having those conversations with your children. And when it mm-hmm. comes to sex, it's there's there's so many attacks from multiple fronts. Yeah, it's not just the influences we had as a kid growing up. There's now even more influences. Yeah, yeah. Sexual proclivities. So we got to be armed up. I, I, I thank you for sharing that because it's it's critical because we we just mentioned how do we you know have these safe spaces, and I think it's just opening yourself up to being uncomfortable with your kids, mm-hmm. but letting them know that you're willing to get vulnerable with them. If your kids can't see you in, in a vulnerable state, then they can't be comfortable being vulnerable with you, right? If they can't trust you enough to not, you know, like you said, blow a gasket, then they're not going to come to you. They're going to go to the yes people in their circles who are going to tell them what they need to hear in that moment. Especially yeah. in a moment where they need to hear no or think about it, They'd rather hear the yes because it's easier to digest that and process that, right? It's going to give them the, the quick confirmation for what it is that they're seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not sure, that person might, you know, push them in the wrong direction. So, yes, we need to create the safe spaces. Thank you for sharing that. The other part is how do we, you know, Earldine mentioned that she can't be around her kids all the time, which is a fact. No parent can be around their kids all the time, but it's the foundation, the, mm-hmm. the things that you set for the roots, I think, that's going to allow them to be able to make the choices that are right when you're not around as a parent. 
you know? And I think that's the hardest part because we can't just be parents like our parents were, which was go to work, come home, right. Provide food and shelter and clothing. That's not enough anymore because the world has access to your kids, even in your own home, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's the danger that we need to be aware. Are we setting limits to what they can use and what they can watch? Are we having open conversations with them about their day? Like, like you mentioned, I do that as well. Every time I pick up my daughter, I ask her how her day was, what were some of the ups over the lows? Why were they lows? And why were the ups so high for her? And we talk about that, right? Uh, we're having conversations about what friends mean, what is a BFF, and what is an acquaintance. That was a new thing that she learned, what an acquaintance is, yes, yes. right? And so those are conversations. And she's six, about to turn seven. Yep. Most people would say, well, why are you having these conversations? Because she's able to understand so I can have those conversations, exactly. right? Parents assume that our kids are not informed, yeah. but they know yeah. a lot more they than we think. Lot. They know a lot. You um, know? If you watch even as Ray said, I, I I learned this from my mom. Um, we have movie night here with my boys. And so I would say to them, tell me a movie that you want on Netflix or Disney Plus that you want to watch. Mm. And I will go ahead and watch it first. And I'm mortified of the stuff that they, can, they classify mm-hmm. as PG. Yeah. And the new shows that are coming out on Netflix that are pushing a lot of things that are not a part of my value system. It could be a part mm-hmm. of other people's value system, but there are certain conversations. Confusion. That's what it is. Confusion. That my children should, I'm not going to, let me say this. I've, I've looked at the sex ed curriculum for grade three up to grade six um, for Ontario. And some of the topics that they touch on at first, I had issues with it. But then I started watching some of the shows that they're watching on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. on the Disney Channel, on Nickelodeon, on um, TVO Kids, cartoons like Arthur. Mm-hmm. They're bringing up some very adult stuff into children. So it's almost as if they're trying to program kids at a young age so that when they get older, that becomes the norm in their mind. Precisely. And, and so I've had to say to the kids, look, number one, the first thing I had to do when I learned this the hard way, they don't have access to all these streaming services on every TV in our house. We have seven TVs in this house. Okay. Wait, and how many I TVs? I had to learn the hard way because I have a little kid. I don't know if y'all, your other kids are like this or your nieces and nephews like this. I have tried the password thing. My little eight-year-old has gotten around every password I have put up. He has found a way to reboot the systems so he can gain access to YouTube and he can gain access to to this and that. So what I ended up having to do was sign out of the the streaming services. You don't have my personal password, you can't get into that. And the only TV he can have access to that to now is the one that's in my room. I had to get that serious because I noticed what he was watching and then how he was behaving when he was watching. And these weren't sexual stuff. This was just being crazy, crazy stuff, words that he was using. And I kept saying, dude, where's all of this coming from? So parents can't rely on the community anymore. Because in our day, if, if it wasn't your mom and dad looking out for you, you have an auntie and uncle up the street. If you're playing on the street, the whole block's watching you. 
you have to be weary of the block now because you don't know who's on your block. You don't know who's a pedophile on your block. You don't know what pe other people are getting into. Um, one of the rules I have, I'm sorry, my kids don't hang out at everybody's house. There are a couple of houses where I've said to the parents, point black, all, all apologies, but let me say this. My kid, I'm not comfortable of my children going to your house, so let's do this. Let's look for common public spaces like the park. Let's all meet up at the park at a certain time, and that way we know what happens at the park. But if my kid goes to your house, and you're watching pornography, and your kid is allowed access to it. Mm -hmm. I can't control what's in your house. The only thing I can do is just make sure my kid don't go to your house. And the same rule applies even for relatives. I don't know what relatives are in. So my kids don't really get to go to everybody's house. Like I see some of these kids running around. I don't allow it because that's how I have to safeguard my children, right? I'm in a phase of life now where, especially with my oldest son, he has, he's in a world of, I don't know if any of you ever played basketball as guys, but nobody told me that basketball gets this intense at 11. Oh yeah. Where South <laughs> and prep schools are coming to you as a parent. And yeah, we want your son. We're interested in your son. And oh, and this is boarding school. And I'm thinking you're boarding school for my 11 year old mm -hmm. who I can't even get him to wash the dishes when I say so. Mm -hmm. That's scary. So for, for parents of kids in, as athletes, we have had to create support groups to help each other because how do you prepare a boy or girl at the age of 11 to 14 that a scout's going to come and look at your skills and then you're possibly going to have to live either in a boarding school in Canada or a boarding school in the States or a boarding school in Europe? That's a bad recipe. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the thing is, for them to get their dream, it's been sold to us. In, and I can only speak for basketball and soccer because that's the only ones I'm exposed to. I don't know about any other sport. But this is how it has been sold to us. That that's the stream you kind of have to swim in to get to the NBA. Right? And so as a parent, the conversations that I wanted to wait to have Gotta have them now. I gotta have them now because the doors are knocking. And I have to say to my son, I'm like, dude, okay, this is what comes with the basketball scene. Um, a big thing for me is if I'm not there putting you around people who are, I consider mentors. So I got the opportunity to meet some fabulous coaches at a particular prep school. And I, I liked the way they talk, but I still don't know them. You know, so how do we help parents in situations like that? And a lot of the parents who are going through this are low income people who can't do the travel as much, don't have a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. How do we help them in those situations? Because athletic kids, they grow up faster than the average kid. Yeah, because they're exposed you, to a lot more. Because they're exposed to a lot. If, if, if Shelly can tell you, Shelly, this is one of the few nights you get me on the phone, right? Normally, I'm out somewhere with these boys. Like she can tell you, this is one of the few nights you have me home. And still while I'm on the phone with you, my husband was there with the little one. So we've had to create a, a system of support where if I can't be out with the boys and both of them are in rep sports and their, their, their stuff is all over the place, I have to say to my family, and it becomes an extended family discussion, 
grandma, grandpa, uncles, where can you fit in in this sphere? I need help. I, this is where I have to create a community for them. And this is what I would say to any parent listening. Is if you can't do it, you've got to create a community of other surrogate moms and dads that can look out for your child too. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. Thank, thank it's you for a lot. That. It is a lot. It is. It it's is. Um, I want to tie this up a bit, unless people have specific, um, you know, things that they want to share before I wrap it up. Um, because I, I do want to have another conversation about this where we continue it with a, another perspective. But before we get there, I want to, I want to see how you guys feel about the male perspective on this topic of abortion. Hello. I noticed that this is a, there's a huge debate that goes back and forth. You know, a male might say, no, what about my rights? Um, when women are allowed to go to the abortion clinics and, and have an abortion, but you might have a male that says, well, no, but I want to keep the baby. But then the woman has the argument and says, it's my body. I don't want to go through the process. But Ray said something very powerful earlier and, and everybody pretty much agreed, which is the conversation needs to be happening before that happens, right? The accountability. Unfortunately, this is not our reality all the time that we don't have those conversations because there's a lot of young people who are just experimenting and, and, and just living vicariously, right? So when that happens, what do we do at that point? Because the male wants to keep it. Let's say you have someone who says, you know what? I want to be responsible. I'll take on the role. But the woman says, no. What happens there with that individual, the male and his rights? Because it did take his role. He, was, he, has, a, he has a significant role in, in creating this life. There what are your are, thoughts on that? There are court cases that do cover that. It's called the right of the father. Mm -hmm. um, there are cases in the United States. I'm not sure about Canada, but I know for the States in particular, where men have taken pregnant women to court and have said, I, I want her to carry this pregnancy. Um, the judicial system, to be honest with you, is a very expensive system. And so a lot of these cases so far have floated the woman's way because the men either couldn't, because I mean, a court case on those grounds could go on for years. Right. Even though the baby is just, the gestational time for a baby is nine months. Right. It, it, it could take a long time because there are some men who have the resources who do fight it in court, even after the woman has done the abortion on her own. And I've tried to make it like a criminal offense in the States. It, it, there, are, there are cases like that on the books. Um, and they're the exception only because it's expensive. To fight a case like that, you need a very powerful lawyer who's well-versed in civil law. And if you don't have the access to that, most men just chalk it up to, hmm, I don't want to waste my money, but it hurts. If you talk to some of these men, because I've talked to men who their girlfriend had an abortion, they found out later on, and they just broke up with her just based on that. Like, why would you give away my kid? You know? Right. Um, so that's I, what I consider one of the silent sides of this story. The voices of the men are left out of the conversation. Right. And they shouldn't be because that child wouldn't be there if two people didn't get together. Right. And I'm sorry, I got to say it this way on this kind of weekend, but it only takes a man and a woman to have a baby. Thanks. 
your thoughts on uh, on that, uh, Shelly? Um, you know, one of my male friends said to me a long time ago, um, if you can't see yourself having kids with a woman, then don't sleep with her. And how he meant it was, if you if you can't see yourself like living a life and having a family with someone, then you shouldn't be barking down that road. So if you're unfortunately in a situation where you got someone pregnant and you didn't have a conversation, she doesn't have the values where she wants to keep the baby or, you know, it's, it's, it's a nasty situation, then I guess, do you, do you want to go through life with that battle? Do you want to, to, to literally be fighting in court or, or doing those things? I just feel like it, it sucks, but it, it's a lost case. Like you shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. So, but what if, what if, I mean, people meet people at clubs and bars, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's an attraction there and something happens. They sleep together. A one night stand turns into, okay, she's pregnant. Right. Don't do it. <laughs> What's that? Don't, don't do it. No, no, if I'm you, saying, I'm you... saying it's done. It's done. I'm just saying it's done. It's too late. We got too many drinks and it happened. Right. Now the guy wants to keep the baby. I feel like that goes back to if you didn't know who you were sleeping with, then the situation that arises thereafter is, you know, it sucks, but it's on you. (laughs) So, okay. So what are you saying though? Does he have a voice in that scenario or he he should technically he should. should, Society smothers his voice. So, okay. uh, Hold on, Ray, Ray, let me just finish this one thought before you jump in. I know exactly, I think I have an idea where you're going to go. But the reason why I'm asking that is because on that same night, she can turn around and say she wants to keep it if he said he didn't. And his life changes. Yeah. So, Ray, go ahead, say what you're going to say. Well, I was just going to chime in and say who's really on a one night stand out here beer backing. No, no, I'm, 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 I understand, but it's, it's my whole thing will always be pointing back to the level of accountability, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The promiscuosity inside the culture is that is such that it is the norm for hookups to be unprotected. Mm-hmm. And that is not right. That needs to change. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? The right. accountability is, is completely lacking. That's why a law like this, passing where the penalty is so severe it will strike a nerve in people's minds to think we're just like you know what maybe these unprotected hookups or whatever scenario having intercourse without managing expectations before mm-hmm. it will ring in their head like you know what i'm not trying to go to prison for 15 years that nut is not that important. <laughs> Pull out. <laughs> Pull out. Not, and, and, and that's the crazy thing. And that's the that's the crazy thing. It's not it's not it's not even a pull-out. Because it, it it's before that, like there's condoms, there's birth yep. control. You know what I mean? Like if if you're gonna entertain like, oh, I'm gonna be uh active then maybe that stuff really needs to be part of your routine by default because mm-hmm. prison time is real. One mm-hmm. of my solutions or something I thought about was just like maybe plan B, morning after pill, even that is an option. That should be like a dollar. 
the government's just subsidized the cost of that where it's just like maybe the access to it is just there where it's just like should there even be an ex- exception to the rule it is least, subsidized though like to, to what extent where it's, it's readily available um, for in a some places in the states you can get it for free just walk in explain what happened and they can give it to you for free even better. So that just minimizes the yeah. um the occurrences or cases. Out there. Yeah. Yeah, but important to note is that it minimizes the occurrences or cases where it has to lead to an abortion. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Which my is like only, if the my more- only concern with the contraceptive argument is um the side some of the contraceptives that are out there, I'm sorry to say. It's easier for a man to put on a condom, put on a condom yes. than for someone like me to get a tea, what they call it, a, a tea contraceptive Shelly, inserted in my uterus that could possibly pierce through my uterus and cause internal bleeding. So not not I, only that, the pills alone. They, and the pills cause weight gain, delusional. I mean, the things that it does to women, they need to revisit that formula. So abstinence works. Condoms work. Hormonal imbalance is right. real. But the the pill. pill is not a solution because what it does to your body it alters it, right? as a woman, it takes you to a whole nother dangerous place. And the end result can be ovarian cancer, can be internal bleeding, abnormal growths, hormonal It can imbalance. be even when you're trying to conceive that it takes you years to conceive because you're so like um, and if you did it when you were young i remember we knew someone it took them 10 years to have their first kid jelly after after going through that 10 years so 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 sorry they just make it seem like once you stop taking the pill it's okay as a woman just to go ahead and have a kid right up no your body has to do a complete reset and it takes time and i completely hear what you guys are saying Certain people on the opposite side of the aisle will be hearing all I hear is excuses from yeah. women talking about these contraceptives, right. their downsides to them, a whole bunch of excuses. And I can side with that because at the end of the day, women control access to sex majority of the time. Women then should ask themselves, hey, instead of having sex, how about I go find a suitor and get married? Why don't I? Uphold the virtue of being a virgin Ray, what were before you? marriage. <laughs> okay, you, oh, now, now you see this. Okay, no, I no. Bro, I got to stop you, Ray. Honestly. Go ahead, Ray. I, I have a thought. So, the, the world I live in is one where I got to entertain accountability. And we have to make sure that we, we try our best to minimize outcomes that we find not desirable. It is very pragmatic in today's culture with access to to sex, to find people who maintain the virtue of being virgins and seek to be married. That is something that we we should should put on a pedestal and potentially aim for. We should celebrate. It may not be the reality, but nothing is wrong with making it that become the moral standard within our community, especially with all that was done to our community. Can I you know ask I mean? the broken, how, how do we achieve that though? It starts with uh, education and really having that conversation out there because I'm not going to tell no lie. I yard my mom and I told myself I would never be serious with a girl who goes to the clubs. I cannot stand the pasa pasa 
I, that is a part of my culture, but that's a part I, I, I never liked as a kid like that. You see what I'm saying? So we, we, we have to start having people value their bodies yeah. more. Your and body. as a person who never valued my body as much, now having kids is not to make them repeat the cycle. It's to change it, stop it. And it starts with the education, like hold yourself in a certain manner. We see other people from other communities carrying themselves in a certain way. We don't need to be, our kids don't need to be wearing, walking around with their pants sagging, a yep. booty cheeks showing out here. And there's too much promiscuosity out there in the air. So we need to kill that noise. And if we don't kill that noise, then people are going to be coming up with a whole bunch of excuses and lack the accountability for their actions. And when certain things come into play to be like, hey, you know what? We don't support these outcomes. We're going to put a penalty behind it. You'll have a lot of people up in arms. And it's just like, no, the conversation is not about pregnancy. Though it is, it should start way before that. People should manage your expectations. So, Ray, how about we set up community programs where guys like you, because you see like you're talking right now, you're the kind of guy that my son needs to listen to. Because here's the thing. The one thing, I'm not going to put my business out there, but there are certain conversations my husband cannot have with my son, both boys, because of how he has lived. And when my sons ask certain questions, I say to them, listen, honestly, mommy can't answer that because I was a different person. I was the girl who, Shelly knows me for over what now? I'm 41 this year. So Shelly's known me for 30 years, uh, 31 years. I was the girl who tried to do it the right way. I was the girl who was in the church getting my, because this is what my parents put into me. Go, go get your education. But no guy was checking for me. Everybody was running. And some of them did end up marrying the girls that they were running around with. Nobody was checking for me. There's got to be a conversation on the male side coming from males, what it means to value a woman who, who, who carries that virtue. That conversation is not there. One of the things that disappointed me as a young person, and I've said this over and over again, I grew up in the church. In the church, all I heard was, as a girl, you have to live as a virtuous woman and you have to carry yourself according to the word of God. Where were the virtuous men? And the men were where? And it pissed me off. I literally went to a, a bishop in Toronto and I said, listen, every time you people open your mouth, it's always about the girls got to dress like this and they got to look like this and they got to carry themselves like this. And the truth of the matter is most of us who were married had to leave the church to find husbands and then bring them into the church to have a husband. That was our reality. No man in the church was checking for a girl like me who was virtuous, who was a virgin, who was getting her education, who was going out and getting jobs. In the Black community, I was considered nothing, <laughs> okay, for years, till I was even suicidal about it. Because I kept saying, man, if nobody don't want me, God, I'm ready to go home to you. And it took a, it took a long time for, let me tell you what changed for me. There were some men that my parents put me around, and I thank God every day for these men. If I could call their names, I would. These were men who were upstanding Christians, who have their wives, took care of them. Like, 
to me, and even to this day, they're still in my life. And some of them are actually godfathers for my boys. These guys carried themselves in such a way that I was like, damn, they're actually men out there who actually appreciate a girl like me. Because what was happening in my life is the young guys, they didn't see my value. It was the older men who kept saying, no, Earlene, stay as you are, because I'm telling you, you're a prize to be won. You're a prize to be, because the way you carry yourself, the family you have, let's keep it 100. You're doing the right thing. Even though the world is telling you you're not doing the right thing. What kept me going was those men took that stand to tell me, I'm affirming you as a woman. I'm taking that gap and I'm affirming you as a woman. Because I'm telling you, the girls that were getting all the play were the ones wearing the big weaves and the short skirts and the breast is hanging out and they're going clubbing. I'm sorry, I'm 41. I've never been in a club. So I, I, I <laughs> sorry, if I, if I, if I could jump in. It's, 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 again, it starts with the education, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to be careful, of, especially dealing with young kids. What attention do you really want from the opposite sex? Because what those grown men told you was very correct. Wait. Because the value young boys will place on a young woman is not the same value as a man who's now found himself, mm-hmm. found his value, and is ready for a mate. You see, you being young, was it relationship energy you wanted? Or was it just attention from the opposite sex? Oh, because you're going if, to the psychology of it. Now, I actually had to go you know, with a therapist about that because my issues came from, you know, talking about the daddy issues. Yeah. I, I took a while actually seeing a therapist actually helped me. And my parents didn't even know I saw a therapist on this. But in, in university, when I was questioning certain things of why, why is it that I really want to be in a relationship? What is this all about? And just by talking to this person, I realized that the relationship I had with my father, which was, he's here, he's always been here, but we don't talk. The way I talk with my boys is because I never felt comfortable talking like this with my dad. dad. I still don't. And so, you know, the typical West Indian culture Mm. where I'm the parent, you're the child, you got to listen to me. I'm always right. That's what I grew up around. So my mom was different. I could go to my mom with anything. I could tell her anything. Do you understand what I'm saying, Shelly? Like we used to have, I remember one year when we had a, a sleepover. Shelly will remember this. We had a sleepover and what my mom did, which was so creative, there was a video that they got from Jamaica about, it's an anti-AIDS video. I still have the video here, but it was talking about all the things that we're talking about, you know, talking education, sex education on a whole. And it was made by some Jamaican um, performing arts people. And so she, was, she had a group of five girls at the house and a group of five boys and the boys were fine i'm not gonna like right shelly they were good looking guys like these were the guys yep. that every girl kind of wanted to date and some of them did right? but it was cool because what my mom did was she created a safe space for us as young people to actually have that conversation mm-hmm. and so that's why i'm the kind of mom i am now because i had someone who modeled that for me you know but most of my issues when it came to men, especially black men, I'm being honest with you, it's because I never had that protector. 
You know, I didn't get it from within my house. God had to provide other people in the community. And Shelly can attest to that. A lot of the guys who looked out for us as young women and protected us from being raped and all, these were other guys that came in as like surrogate fathers who thought it was important and God's mission to kind of protect these girls, not harm us, but protect us. I remember one gentleman who said to me when I was in university, he's like, Earl Dean, you are not the girl who's out there dating. I need you to understand how to conduct yourself on a date. And I remember he picked this fancy restaurant on University Avenue. And he said, meet me there at 12. And we went. And some people think it was strange. But he said, no, you need to. He told my mom, he told my parents, I'm going to take her out. He told them exactly where, you know, so there was all the security stuff cleared. But and he was our youth pastor. And he really, really helped me understand. You go to a fine restaurant how you should conduct yourself. Here's your fork. Here's your knife. Here's the wine glass. Why you shouldn't pick wine on the menu. Why not opt for water or juice? You know, so it was, to me, it was one of the most special experiences. And now that this man has daughters, I know they're going through the same thing with their dad. Can I add to that, actually, if I can? Um, so, So I have my biological father and then I have a stepdad. And from my biological father, anything that he's ever given me, any experience that I've had with him, I remember very clearly. And I say that to say, seeing how me and him talk, especially now, which was very different from when we were younger, um, I didn't have that first experience of how a, a man should like really treat you, take you out, uh, compliment you. But with my stepdad, I, and just in watching how he is with my mom, how he is with me, I, I have those experiences, right? Even though they came later in life. And I say that to say that how men, fathers, relate to their daughters is very important. It's our first compliment. It's our first showing of love. Yes. It's, our, it's, it's everything. So it makes a difference. It gives you identity because my self-esteem issues and wanting to be around other men was because I really wanted my father's love. Yeah. Now I really wanted that. And so the sad part is your daughter can end up in some bad places when you don't take her out for dinner and make sure she understands how you spend money on yourself. It's not like you're going crazy. And I don't want women to think that they have to be gold diggers or depend on a man. But when you have a man that can provide and make you feel financially safe, make you feel physically safe, what security actually feels like then women won't be in marriages that they don't want. They yeah. won't be in relationships with these guys who don't really value them. They would actually think, most girls, I'm sorry to say it, we want to be virgins when we get married. We would love that honor. But guess what? A lot of us compromise. Why? Because society, the men in society make it seem like it's okay. The guys are frivolous. You know, so if you want to get with them, sometimes you got you to gotta do that. And if you're not a strong girl or or someone who are, you're going to fall and you're going to end up going to the abortion clinic at that point. So it, I think there's something that Ray said in passing that is mm -hmm. very key to what everybody has said so far about the men. And I think the men, the boys need to know who they are. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that's critical to how we treat the girls and mm -hmm. the women, because a lot of young boys who become men 
don't love themselves enough to say, I'm going to respect you more than I respect me. And that's the challenge. I don't think we, we, you know, as young boys, we don't have that self-respect or esteem to say, you know what, I'm confident in this skin that I have, that I'm in, and this is how I should conduct myself. We are easily influenced by our peers and the perception of what it looks like to be a man. And our elders, because there's some elders that promote right. um, the stuff yeah. too, right? Right. So. But that's my point. We are learning. We learned a lot of the stuff that we knew from the wrong role models. Mm-hmm. So to to his point, to Ray's point and to what, you know, um, both, both of you ladies uh, have said is we need to understand who we are as individuals. And I think once we understand the value in which we bring to the table, it's easier for us to say, you know what, I'm going to treat you, if not the same as how I treat myself more or better. Right. And that's what's missing because we don't have that self-respect yet as young boys. We just we're just going around doing what we think is cool, what our peers think is cool, what the elders that we look up to. It could be the music you know, star or the athlete uh, or the, the entertainer that we look at and say, you know what, I like the way this guy moves or even a character from a movie or a show. Right. We're being influenced by a lot of different things. And so we take that and we think, oh, that's what a date should look like. And we should put something in the girl's drink so that we can get her to sleep with us. Every teen show has this scene. Has that theme. Yes. Especially recently. Right. A lot of them coming out through Netflix and Disney. Every single scene. They are putting this crap out there. And I'm like, nobody is saying anything. Right. And then you have athletes who are at the college level sleeping in dorms are doing this. Yes. And they're not telling you the cost because let me be honest with you. One of the things I've had to do, I didn't know anything about basketball. I played soccer a bit, so I knew a lot more about the soccer world, but I had to look for athletes, model athletes, negative athletes. Yep. And I literally go through it with my boys. Like, look at this kid. He has 13 kids and he's in jail. And how is this impacting him on the court? Right. You understand me? Because when I say to them, listen, when I tell you not to just go somewhere and eat and drink from anybody, and you have to kind of use your wisdom, you know, who you're around. Here's the example of what happens. Look how many, this guy died and that guy died. And, you know, I, I list out the examples for my 11 year old. So when I say to you, buddy, I don't feel comfortable you going to the park with so-and-so. He doesn't fight me on it because he's like, you know what, mom? I get what you're saying because you've given us these stories. And I'm not giving him stories from 20 years ago. I'm giving him stories of high school kids. There's one high school kid. He was with a girl the other day. Went camping, 19-year-old kid, on his way to a college ball for a scholarship. They found him dead Thursday. Wow. And he went to hang out with this girl who he's had in his life but didn't know who she was. Now she's a murder suspect. Right. And she's not talking how this 19-year-old black boy is now dead. This is, this is the world I'm in where I'm saying, son, it might sound old and archaic what I'm saying, but trust me, if you listen to me, you're going to be okay. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to be okay. And that's me saying it as a mom. What I love it is that he has uncles and aunties who are outside of me, who yeah. also model that behavior. Because if you're hanging around people who smoke marijuana, you can't tell your children not to do marijuana. 
Because the first thing they're going to say to you is, but uncle so-and-so who hangs around you, ma, I know you don't do it, but you hang around uncle so-and-so, our cousin so-and-so. Right. How can I tell my son then not to do it? So that's another part of the conversation. We have to model it and we have to put people in their lives who model that, that those values as well. That's a strong point to end it there. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, I want to wrap it up with this. The topic is heavy. The conversation does not end here. It's only started here. Uh, I want to thank everyone for chiming in and sharing your perspectives. It was, it was wealthy. Uh, and I think people will definitely benefit from it. Uh, it, has, it has been said that pros and cons of, you know, an abortion is that of the individual who decides that it's relevant to them. We as a group or as a society can't decide for the individual. However, I think the individual should have a say in it. But to what we discussed today, this evening, I think it's important to note that the law is important, right? And the exception is also important. And before we can decide on what's the law and what's the exception, we need to also take proactions, you know, before we get to that point where we're even considering the exception, whether it's the, it's the exception or if we're breaking the law. So to, to all of our perspective, I think Ray said it, Odin said it, and, um, and Shelly also mentioned it as well, that the actions leading up to that point take way more precedence than the actions that we need to take after. We can avoid a lot of these heartaches. I know a lot of women go through psychological and emotional trauma, whether they decide to or not to. And so the pain goes across the board. The men also suffer in this situation and in turn, society does not benefit because all we end up with is either a life that is lost, a life that is injured and hurt and suffering or both can be lost or both are around and suffering. So with that said, I hope we can, you know, encourage folks to continue the conversation. Don't end it there. Continue it. It is hard. Speak to your kids and educate them. Love them. Teach them to love themselves. And uh, we'll end it there. I want to thank everyone that was on this panel today for your experience, your knowledge, your personal stories and everything else that you were able to share with us. And I hope the listeners can benefit from it. Until next episode, love, peace, and nappiness. <laughs>